Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable. We're glad you're with us uh, this week. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MNBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MNBC. So we are continuing our uh, walkthrough of the basics of what we as Baptists believe about the church. Um, Not only because we all believe it's important, uh, the church is uh, the family of God, the household of God, but then we're talking also about how we understand it and then how kind of... uh, how roughly the broad outlines of how we should function, what is, what makes up the various parts of the church and um, what does the Bible teach us about uh, how we should understand it and its role in our lives. So that's been what we've kind of been walking through uh, recently in the past few weeks. We, um, in the first episode of this, we talked about the invisible church, the church as God sees it versus the church as we see it, uh, the invisible, visible distinction. So we see it imperfectly in this world. There are people that are part of our, that are, we, that look like Christians that really aren't. And there may be people that we don't think look like Christians, but at the very end of the day, we will see them in heaven. Um, and so, um, for whatever reason, so we see things imperfectly. God sees them, uh, perfectly as they are. And then the second episode, we talked about the fact that the church is a kingdom and it's indestructible. God has always had a church. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, God has had those people in this world that he has saved by his grace, called to himself, and they have professed the true religion uh, of Christianity, of the faith and the promised uh, coming salvation, and in the salvation that has come as we understand it now. And uh, this, there has always been this kingdom in this world, and God will always have this kingdom. It will never ultimately perish from the earth. Um, and also then we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ alone is the king, the head of this church. Um, the Pope is not the head of the church. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ alone is, and no institution, no organization, um, you know, so the, the, the Mormon president is not the head of the church on earth. Um, the, the Pope is not the head of the church on earth. There is no denominational or organization or agency that is the head of the church on the earth. Jesus Christ rules the church from heaven by his spirit through his word. And uh, that is how he does it. Then episode three, last time we were together, we kind of talked about how Jesus Christ, because he's the king and the head, he's the one who calls this local church together by his word, by his spirit, um, through the preached word, Jesus Christ um, calls people out of darkness into his marvelous light and then puts us together as his flock, as his family, as his people, and calls us to live together as his people according to his commandments, his rules, and his statutes, um, which are good and therefore showing forth um, the, the light of the gospel uh, in a dark world. So, Uh, The invisible church, visible church, indestructible kingdom, sovereign king, and then Christ calls the local church. And today we want to look at the fact of of now. So we've started talking about how Jesus Christ calls us and puts together this local church. So the head of our church at MNBC is Jesus Christ. He's the one in charge of of, of MNBC. And then also Jesus Christ is the one who's called MNBC Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and all other true local churches together. He's the one who's called us together. This week we want to talk about 
okay, but who should be a part of a local church? Who should be a member of MMBC and who should not be? Because these are questions we have to ask ourselves. Who is part of Christ's flock and who is not? Um, And it's important to, to real quick give this caveat. We're not talking about the invisible church which is the church as God sees it. Remember, there are people that are in the in the true church that we can't tell, um, maybe because at this moment they're in sin or they, um, or whatever reason, or they're not able to be a part of a church. But we're talking about members of particular churches, particular local churches, as we can best judge with our eyes, because we are called upon to do that. Um, we have to use our eyes and according to God's word to judge things as we can see them and do our best. Um, so we will do this imperfectly, obviously, uh, but we're still called to do it. Um, so, so who should be a member of a particular church? If I was to ask you guys to just, before we kind of read the little thing where we've been going through, um, who should be a member of a church? What would you say? Who should be a member of MMBC? What are the qualifications, uh, for being a member at MMBC? Uh, first, you need to be a Christian, so somebody saved by God's grace. Um, other questions would come up from there, right? Have you been baptized as a believer uh, after that? can be a member unless that's happened. Um, we also have, uh, through the Baptist faith and message, like a, a statement of faith that people could read, and we, the question would be, do you align, you know, do you align with this Um I think it'd be valuable for them to know what we do, you know, and who we are and to say, do you, do you agree with these things? You know, do you think these are the purposes uh, of the church? And, uh, if they do, you know, if they, if they're, they've been saved, they've been baptized, they, they agree with this and they want to be committed here with us. That would be somebody then that we would commit ourselves to as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of those basic things you just mentioned are going to be found in what we're going to talk about today. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I think that's great. Should I say something else? No. Oh no, you're doing great. You're doing you're doing really good. We should point out right now that, that Scott is not with us today. That's why this seems so interesting today. Probably. Yeah. People have probably felt a different dynamic on the podcast already. <laughs> boy, oh boy, and they'd wondered what it was. Scott's not here. Uh, Poor Scott. We miss miss him. Poor Scott. Um, He was tired today. He was tired. We understand. Yeah, Um, he's tired. Big weekend. (laughs) Yeah. He was at D-Now, which apparently is the... It's what he wants it called. Did you... Yeah, because I I guess because somebody else was like, what, D-Now? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, he was happy that... D-Now. He was happy that... Because you called it Disciple Now. Is that what you would always... Would you say the whole thing? Probably, I don't know. He just wants to be cooler than me. That's fine. D now. He is cooler. He's cooler. Yeah. D now. D. And I think now. he puts it together the D and then the now. Is together. the D like the Detroit it's Tigers English D? D now. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, should, you should do the that old cool. English D. Yeah. That's yeah. what that should be. D now. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, so, first of all, let's read this little paragraph. This is, of course, from the, uh, the uh, Second London Baptist Confession, which we've been using, um, which. Uh, is a good summary of what Baptists believe the church is. And so it says this about the members of uh, particular local churches. It says the members of these churches, local churches it's talking about, are saints by calling, visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession and walking, their obedience unto that call of Christ, and do willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and one to another by the will of God, 
in professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. Go ahead. Yeah, something I think that <clears throat> I don't I don't want to jump ahead. Yeah, well, we'll wait. It's point three, so we'll talk about it. Awesome. In a little <laughs> so, first of all, I want to I want to address this because I've uh, heard uh, surprise, uh, or maybe maybe that even there I should say there's some uncomfortable uncomfortability with using this word. But first of all, they say the members of these churches are saints. Mm-hmm. Why um, why would people be uncomfortable sometimes with that? use of saying that Mm -hmm. we are saints Mm -hmm. why would they be uncomfortable with that and what would you say in response to somebody who was uh, expressing concerns about Mm -hmm. that title being applied to christians i think i can speak into that because i mean growing up catholic even though it was very nominal you know christmas easter and went through confirmation and all that but after that it was like nothing but when i got saved and i remember um going through first corinthians at my church and that was right off the bat, you know, mm-hmm. to the saints who are in Corinth. Right. And feeling uncomfortable with that, I'm like, because in my mind, two ideas kind of are conjured up. One is that, you know, from the Catholic teaching, a saint is someone who is, you know, um, venerated. They've reached this certain level and, you know, and, and they have to be dead. And they reach a certain level <laughs> of... Uh, in their, they have to be dead. I yeah. love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they've reached a certain level, and then they're kind of, uh, you know, declared saint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second idea I think it conjured up in my, my mind was it, there is some bar out there, you know, yeah. that, that's a measuring stick, and mm-hmm. that you have to reach that bar by, you know, the, the disciplines of the, of the Christian life, you know, yeah. of sanctification and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until I understood, I think it was in one of my Greek classes, actually, when I underwer, understood the, did I say underwear? No, underwear. <laughs> underwear. <laughs> understood? Yeah. <laughs> my kids always say, hey, what's that under there? Underwear. Oh, you know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> probably where I get that from but anyhow <laughs> moving on um but I understood the word you know the word in Greek is is hagias or hagioe the plural and it simply means set apart ones mm-hmm. as in you are a set apart in, in, by God's doing there's that passive recipient mm-hmm. if you will of, of that of God's action and then it clicked like okay it's not about some status it's not about some right it's a rather it's a position it's an identity thing mm-hmm. we are we are, it's an indicative statement we are Saints. I guess, yeah, we are saints. We are mm-hmm. set apart by God. So that mm-hmm. really, it was an it was an un kind of uh, unearthing um, that true meaning, and helped me to uh, kind of detox, if you will, from the yeah. from the baggage of of growing sure. up the way I did. So, yeah, and we are holy <clears throat> because much of what you were describing there, Dave, is um, oftentimes people think about holiness as describing something within us. Yeah. Those people were inherently holy because they did a bunch of holy things. Right. But the Bible's emphasis, the scripture's emphasis is you are holy because you were washed with the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. You were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified. Yeah. As Paul says in Corinthians. And so it's actually I am holy, not because, first and foremost, because of what I do, mm-hmm. but because of who I am in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. Yeah. And I do want to live holy a holy life because of that, but right. I'm not, yeah. So the emphasis is upon his gift of holiness yeah. to me. He gives me this exactly. status, mm-hmm. this position mm-hmm. um, in Jesus. So we are saints. We are the holy ones. Mm-hmm. Um, of God, just like Israel in the Old Testament was a holy nation. If you read about Israel, 
they were not holy people as right. far as their actions were concerned. They were, right. they could be quite sinful. Yeah. Um, it's because of who they were mm-hmm. as redeemed by God, mm-hmm. washed and, and connected to the blood um, that they were set apart and devoted mm-hmm. um, to God's purpose. So exactly. they're saints. Um, so we are holy ones. Well, first of all, though, it says we are saints, but we are saints by calling. It says we are called saints. In other words, we are, we have been called, um, to uh, believe in Jesus Christ. You can see this, uh, for instance, in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul writes to the church and he says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Um, so it, it's highlighting the fact that these, these, these Christians have been called by God. They have been uh, summoned by God into saving faith. And this, of course, brings up the question, what is what in the world are we talking about when we're talking about calling um uh, calling as far as our salvation because paul talks about this in romans he says um, those whom he predestined he called those whom he called he justified so what does it mean uh to be called and i've stolen this from the old um an old baptist catechism that was written and it talks about effectual calling uh, a calling it says this is the work of god's spirit whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, he, the Holy Spirit, doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ offered to us, freely offered to us in the gospel. So the call is, God calls us and says, come to me, mm-hmm. like that verse, right? Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me, he calls us, he mm-hmm. summons us to himself, to be saved as, and he freely offers us himself in the gospel. Now, of course, there's a, a, an outward call that that call is given through the preaching of the word to all men, mm-hmm. but only those whom the spirit of God renews their wills mm-hmm. actually accept the call and believe in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of Christ that is being given in the call, right? So the Holy Spirit comes and changes our hearts, enlightens our minds, so that we we see our sin, but we also then see his salvation. And so we believe in that, Mm -hmm. because the word of God calls us and summons us to Jesus. So these saints, first of all, are those who have heard this message, believed this message by the Spirit's uh, power. Mm -hmm. So, and, and this ties in, I think, as well, to the previous paragraph, which we don't have, I don't have printed out for you guys, but where it talks about Jesus Christ is the one who calls the local church together because um, it, it reminds us that Jesus Christ calls us out of the world to himself by the ministry of his word and by the spirit. This again, I think is helpful to understand why we as Baptists place such a special primacy upon the preaching and reading of the word, because that is the way that God calls us and brings us to himself um, and, and makes us part of uh, his, his church. And so we have verses like this in John 10, 16, where Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Mm-hmm. Or John twelve thirty two, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So that's what's happening here. These saints are those who have heard the voice of Jesus and responded um yeah. there's that hymn 
And Horatius Bonarham, you guys ever heard? I heard the voice of Jesus say, come to me and rest. Mm-hmm, I think so. Yeah, it's an old, old Scottish, hymn. Right? Yeah, Scottish hymn. Yeah, and, um, but that's, that's who these people are. They've, been, they've heard the call, and they've responded mm-hmm. to the call of the gospel. Any thoughts about that, that whole idea of the call and its importance in, in our church life as well? I mean, I think it's what sustains you is knowing that it's not me who called myself mm. out or did yeah, this or figured it out. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's he has, he's called me. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we'll see that in Timothy as we've yeah. been going through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Remember your calling. Mm-hmm. I think it's even as, as believers, so many people doubt and struggle with doubt. Satan tempts them with doubt of who they are in Christ. And they need to be reminded often that mm-hmm. it's, him that called you, not you that called to him. Amen. Right? Um, and so there's a lot of comfort in that. Yeah, we call upon his name because he's first of all called upon us. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so that, that makes us look outside of ourselves uh, to Christ. Again, outside of our own hearts and minds yeah. and, and look to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's a really good point because... I think there was a point in my life where that that shift took place when it was a realization that I don't have to, the pressure's off. Like, I don't have to measure up. I don't have to, like, sustain this, like, my, you know, my salvation. It's it's a gift that God's given me. The perseverance of the saints is, is a result of his effectual work in my life. And I think there's unfortunate, there's a lot of teaching that makes, I think, Christians think or feel mm. that they have to jump through these hoops in order to really get God's favor and approval. Right. And that is a very oppressive way to live. And, mm-hmm. I, and I feel like, you know, the earlier days of my Christian life were, were like that. It was this constant, like, sense of like, am I doing enough? Am I enough? Is this enough? And how do I know? And I think that's, I mean, Luther obviously wrestled with that before he came to Christ, before he started studying Romans and Mm -hmm. Galatians, because he felt like no matter how hard he tried, it was never enough. Of course, he was lost and works-based, but you know, I think a lot of Christians fi- feel that, that they're like, oh, I got to do this, do this. And it's such a comfort, like you said to him, it's such a comfort to know that, you know what, Christ has done this. I don't have to now measure up. I just rather have to be faithful, have to be obedient. But it's him that sustains mm-hmm. me. He, as we sing that song, he holds me fast. Right. Not right. I hold my myself fast. And then God says, that a boy, good job. Keep going. Right. You know? right. So. No, you're exactly right. This is the call that comes um, comes from Jesus, and it comes to give us rest, um, not to make us stressed out, because Jesus knows we're already stressed out in this world. We're already anxious and weary. So he calls us to rest, mm-hmm. to receive him. Um, and so that is who we are as saints. We're called um, to himself and um, and to believe in him. Uh, I stole this. I love, this is one of my favorite books and, and it's got a funny name, but it's called, it's by a guy named Robert Purnell, who was an old Baptist from the 1600s. This book is from 1657, but he says this about these believers. He says, well, what's the name? You said it got a funny name. What's the name? A little cabinet richly stored with all sorts of heavenly varieties and soul reviving influences. It's catchy. It's catchy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it's so, I love it because That's it's funny. so gospel saturated actually. Um, but he says this, 
us about the believers uh, that should make up a church. He says, they are believers gathered out of the world by the preaching of the gospel and the powerful ministry of the spirit. Hence, it is that the church and scripture are frequently called saints and holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, the house of God and temple of the Holy Ghost, the household of faith, born from above of the spirit, that they might worship God in spirit and in truth. They were darkness, but now are light. They were lost, but now found, were dead, but now are alive. They before had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We're not a people, but now are a people of the living God. The Father disdains not to count them his sons and daughters. The Son is not ashamed to call them brethren. The Holy Ghost is pleased to make them his temple to dwell in. All which discovers and confirms that the church of Christ are and ought to be a spiritual building made up of spiritual stones. Mm. So that's who we are. That's what it means to be called. But whenever we're called to believe in the gospel, we will bear fruit. There are going to be visible signs. And that's the next thing it talks about in this statement. It says they visibly manifest and evidence in and by their profession and walking their obedience unto that call of Christ. So not only are they called saints, but they visibly show forth the fruits and the effects of the fact that they've received Christ uh, by their profession of the gospel, the fact that they they profess and say, yes, I do believe this Jesus, and I'm trusting and resting upon him for everything. I'm putting all my chips on Jesus. And then their life, the way they walk, the overall shape and uh, activity of their life is not one that is uh, destroys that profession. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually it's, again, this is where I think we're, we're getting into this. We've, we're now like in what paragraph six of this, of this chapter of the Baptist confession. But what you see is they start to, you can see the logical progression because if you look back at paragraph two, where it tells us what a Christian is, it tells us that they profess the faith of the gospel. They profess obedience unto God by Christ. And they don't destroy that by heresy in their lives um, by believing, you know, Jesus isn't God or something like that, or sin in their life that is like so obvious, um, a sin that is unrepentant um, in their lives. So we're not looking for perfection of life because none of us are perfect and we only begin to make a small beginning in this world of true perfection. Um, so we, we, we actually just begin that really in this world, but we are talking about the fact that the walking the overall shape and lifestyle of the believer is to be such that it doesn't uh, is not incompatible with that profession. Um, and so we're talking about manifesting faith in Christ and then repentance from dead works um, and putting off and, and putting on anything you guys want to say about this visibly manifesting and evidencing aspect. Yeah, this is the part that I said, we'll hit at because I wonder when we think about our process here of joining our church, or I guess any church in general, I think, I, I should say, I think, I wonder if we are too quick to allow people to join. And I, this would be the sticky point here. It's like, should there be a time of, I don't want to say testing. Observation. Of observation, mm-hmm. you know, because I've shared this with uh church people a lot a lot of a lot of church life is is faith-based i'm not talking about salvation i'm talking about other people Mm -hmm. i have faith i have to have faith or trust in what you're telling me is true Mm -hmm. right um you can trick me 
Yeah, I, sure. And and you can answer the questions. And so even if someone sits in my office like, oh, I'm interested in being a member here. Okay, are you a part of a church? Yes. Have you been saved? Yes. Have you been baptized? Yes. All being no. The answers are all no, but they're telling me yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know this. Mm-hmm. Right? They're just telling me this. And uh, based on their what they're saying, you know, you would bring that person before the church and say, I think they should be a member. They've said these things, and this is what they believe. But we don't really have, like, within our Constitution and bylaws or anything really a, a set time of, of let's see if this is true in their life. Let's let's see if they're going to be faithful to the church for six months and mm-hmm. actually be attending here. You know, let, let's see if they're going to have any interest in being involved or sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. And I just, I don't know, sometimes I wonder if it should be that way. You know, a lot of other groups, if you try to join them, would have something like that. Is like, you have to show us that this is true, that you really want to be a part of our group. And so you don't, you're not like a full-fledged member until this. And there's like a trying. And I'm sure as I say this, some people are like appalled of hearing Mm -hmm. that. And I don't mean it that way. It's just, I think a lot of churches have been took. And a lot of bad things have happened. Because there hasn't been a a visible proof or manifesting. Yeah. Um, I've done this with like people who say they've been called to the ministry or stuff like that, where you can look at their life mm-hmm. and say, I don't see that. I don't see that that's been manifested in you at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. You never serve here. Mm-hmm. Like you never show any interest. I never see you share the gospel. Like, I don't, I don't know if this is true of what mm-hmm. you're saying, but for church membership, I don't know how often this, this is considered mm-hmm. or, or we've seen it even sadly with like some pastors who've fallen who quickly go away and just start a new church yeah like their church is like okay you can't be a pastor anymore because this moral failure and they're like well i'll just go start another one yeah and there's no time yeah there's no time there to say are you really repentant of what you did sure and again i don't know what that time is i don't i don't know if it'd be right to set it but i bet it would solve a lot of heartache within church families if mm-hmm. that happened mm-hmm. where they wouldn't be took you know, yeah. No, I think what I don't know. Yeah, I think, and this is where church history is helpful. There was a period in the early church, not the not the apostolic church, but eventually, um, they had a a, a group called the, they called them the catechumens for we to get the word catechism. But these were people who were being they were they were regarded at some level as Christians, but they weren't like um, they weren't baptized yet. Um, they were kind of like a, they're kind of like in training, Christians mm-hmm. in training. And so they could, for instance, in the early church, they could come to the service of the word to hear preaching and teaching, but they were not allowed to be there during the Lord's Supper because that was for the baptized believers. Right. So they were considered believers, but they were, but they would go through a, I mean, sometimes a, a fairly extended period of, of basic training in the gospel and the, in the Christian, in Christianity and to kind of like, um, slowly initiate and bring them into the truth of Christianity. Um, and I do think on the one hand, so, um, and I think, so I guess I'm just saying that there is some, there is historical precedent for what you're talking about, um, where the early church was concerned about this and mm-hmm. saying, listen, we need to kind of have an extended period and of, of, of observation, but also instruction um, for whenever you come into the Christian faith. Yeah, I um, guess what I would say, like, just, to, you know, like here, 
what I would say would need to happen is I don't know if church membership would need to be denied. If there would have to be like a, a waiting period to become a member, but I think there need to be a waiting period for sure to become a server, to become yeah. a teacher for sure, yeah. or stuff like that. Of like well, of of what you have the right to do here. It's like well, we don't really know you yet. Well, well, you have that principle in you're going to be in Timothy where he says, let them first be tried yeah, talking about right. the deacons. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you have that principle mm-hmm. of, of, uh, but it doesn't seem like we work that way. Do we? It's like somebody, no. even, even somebody comes to know the Lord in your church and you've had time right. to train them a little bit. And now you baptize them. The first thing you do after that usually is like, do you want to teach the kids? Right. <laughs> yeah. you know? Right. Right. And it's these people who are like babes in Christ should sure. be teaching anybody. They yeah. don't know yet. Yeah. You know, uh, but we are so uh, desperate for. So, yeah, it's so, so, so the it's other true. side can happen, though, too, where we can place things on people and say, I don't know if you're a Christian because of X, Y or Z, but they're, right. they're man made laws. Yeah. Um, what are some of those things that you've maybe encountered? You know, I can think of a few things where it can be like, well, you're not a Christian because you don't, um, you know, are you really listening to the right kind of music right now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Are you doing this right now? Are you really, where it's interesting, the way in which they're saying we judge Christians is, first of all, do they profess the religion and do they live a life that contradicts it? They're not saying that there's a certain, like, we need to find these 10 fruits in your life. This seems to be a much more charitable understanding of membership, where it's not like we're trying to say, do you profess faith? And also, have you gone on, on, you know, like, have you shared the gospel this week with 10 people? Mm -hmm. It's, is your life contradicting that profession? It's kind of a different way of, it's kind of like, is there a negative way that you're impacting it rather than saying, there's, there's this list here that you need to meet in order um, yeah, I mean, that's what the Judaizers were doing, right? Right. They, exactly. they were creating a, yeah. a list like, oh, that's good and all. You have Christ. But, right. But what are you eating? Right. Right. You know, oh, you're eating that? Right. Sacrifice to, you know, that was sacrifice to this idol. Right. 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 You shouldn't be doing that. Right. You can't be a Christian then, mm-hmm. if this is how you're going to live. And we can't live that way because then none of us are Christians. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. nobody's a part of the church. Right. It's not that there won't be sinners in the church. Right. Right. There's going to be sinners, but mm-hmm. we are. We are saints because we've been called by him. Right. That's who needs to be in the church, but but we're still gonna fall short. Plus you have you have Christian liberty, mm-hmm. right? That you really have to think through is like just because just because Spencer isn't willing to do something, but Tim is, does that mean Spencer's sinning or Tim? Well, we'd have to really think through it. Like mm-hmm. maybe Spencer's conscience bears on him and so he doesn't feel comfortable doing that. But my conscience, it doesn't bear on me, and I don't think it's explicitly like sinful. I don't, I don't know if it's sinful, and so we, I shouldn't judge Spencer, and he shouldn't judge me in that. Right? It's where we got to mm-hmm. be yeah. brotherly and kind and gracious to each other. Uh, but this says specifically heresy or sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's different, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is an outright okay. You're completely wrong. This is heresy. You're right. out it's of the box. Obvious. Yes. Yeah. And then there's sin. It's like, well, you're lying. That's right. a sin. Right. Okay. Right. 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 You killed somebody. Okay. And, and also, <laughs> and also, I think it's very important to point out this is unrepentant sin. Yeah. Because it's one thing for you to say, you know what? Yes, I know I did that, and I and we can tell you've really shown fruits of repentance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another thing to say, yeah, I did X, Y, or Z, and you know what? I I really don't think it was a problem. You mm-hmm. need to get over it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've encountered like the issue of divorce, you know, with with people who have come to Christ later, 
and um, you know they they were divorced or whatever, and then they want to serve in ministry or or serve you know even even as a as a deacon. This, you know, this is a situation I'm thinking of, and um, you know there was a little bit of pushback because they had been divorced, you know, from those involved, but they, that was before they came to know Christ. That was before justification took place. And then also I've talked with people like, you know, I remember talking to a lady who, whose husband cheated on her and he left her and they were Christians or, you know, he, she was. And uh, she thought, well, she's like, I don't think I can, you know, serve. You know, I think she was wanting to be involved with kids ministry or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that's an issue I think that sometimes Christians have place now. Obviously, if it's blatant, you know, there's sure. immorality going on, and there's a you know, extramarital affairs going on, and someone's like, "Hey, you know," and I want to get involved and do this and this. Sure, and they're actively in that lifestyle. Well, yeah, obviously, right. there needs to be some conversation. Sure. But I think that sometimes there's that guilt there because yeah. of certain legalistic expectations that have been placed sure. on people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, because I think what we're talking about is sin that's obvious and blatant and yeah. unrepentant. Yeah. Um, of so visible saints. Second, uh, thirdly, here underneath this, we're talking about willing saints because it says that they uh, they voluntarily, willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ. So it's not like um, it's not a jihad. Yeah, we're not going to put you <laughs> at the sword and say you have to join the church. This is something uh, that we see in the New Testament, right? I've got here the verse Acts two forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and uh, to the uh, fellowship. And so what you see there is uh, a uh, because of the calling of Christ in their lives, they now willingly, because Christ has renewed their wills, come together with other saints. And this is important because, for instance, we as, as Christians believe that for a marriage properly understood should be a, an act of consent, between two parties. So we don't believe in forced marriages. Um, that's wrong because a marriage is a covenant. Mm-hmm. So, and for a covenant to be a covenant, you have to have two willing parties. Even our, our covenant with God is we, we come willing because God renews our wills to make us willing to, to receive the covenant of, of his salvation in Christ. Similarly, whenever we enter into a church covenant with other believers here, which is something we have as a, as a Baptist church here. It's found in the Baptist tradition, um, the idea of covenanting, voluntarily entering into a solemn agreement together that we are going to walk together. This is very important, too, because we're going to, um, we're not going to simply uh, just live our lives by ourselves, but we are joining unto and walking together with other people um, in a local body, in a local church. Um of our own free will. And so that's what we're, we're shooting for um, with the church covenant, with membership, um, that voluntary aspect. Anything you want to say about that before we go to the very last point? Yeah. I mean, I think that's important and same with like, they can, they can choose to go also, you know, I mean, we don't want to see that and we'd want to pastorally, talk through that of why, you know, because I don't, I don't want them leaving to nothing. You know, I don't, yeah. so that would be a careful thing, but, uh, but yeah, within, within our, within our church specifically, you have the, the right to join and the church can approve of that, but you also have the, the, the right to go, you know, I'm going to shackle you here, um, want them to be here, but we can have that conversation. Sure. And, uh, 
part ways if if needed, you know. Sure. Um, but it's important. You are entering into a marriage, so to speak, with this church. Yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. I mean, there's much more to that. I mean, there would have. You know, what's the reason there need to be? Well, I'm moving to somewhere. Oh, okay. Sure. Well, that's the right. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of things that would go into it. Because uh, it's fascinating. It's funny you talk about that though, because you read some of the old Baptist. Uh, uh, the way in which they 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 understood their church, if somebody was to, um, just say, "Hey, I want to go join another church," and for instance, first of all, they would want to make sure it was of the same faith and order, another Baptist church. Yep. If you went to go join a church of another denomination, they would put you under discipline. Mm-hmm. That was not a. That was not a. I mean, I'm not saying we should necessarily do that exactly. That's today, what we but, had on our books not too long ago. Right, it had to be a Baptist church. Then they changed it to like faith. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what it would be, right? I mean, the person still could go. I can't in church discipline. Is not yeah. jail, right? We and don't so have a sword. You're right. You could be like you're under church discipline. Um, and then after they're not here for six months, they don't respond sure. to you. You say, okay, we have to take you off our rolls, and we're going to treat you as an unbeliever would right. be probably the, the steps right. that would be took right. from there. Um, so in the end, they get their membership gone, I guess, regardless. But, uh, yeah. But I guess, yeah, it's a helpful reminder to just, I think, again, from a historical perspective, because that's what the Baptist of our, mm-hmm. our Baptist forefathers. Right. And it's funny because, you know, we're, we're a Southern Baptist church. And if you read the history, the Southern churches were much stricter. The Southern Baptist churches, Baptists in the South, were much stricter about these kinds of things than Baptists in the North, um, at least in the 1800s. And so, yeah, you, you are marrying the church. And if the church uh, did not feel like your reasons for going to another church were valid, they would try to persuade you, but um, they, they also felt like they had the duty um, to, uh, because they had, they had covenanted with you as well to call you back from that. If they felt like you were doing something that was um, incompatible um, with your, your covenant with the church. Lastly, uh, devoted saints, they gave up themselves. It says here, they give up themselves, first of all, to the Lord and one to another by the will of God in professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. Now, I think this language is, is helpful because it says giving up themselves to the Lord, because this is the this is almost ex- very similar language that's used for um, what baptism is, uh, according to the uh, Baptist uh confession here, this same statement of faith and the catechism that this same group of Baptists put together, because they say this, uh, baptism is, uh, you know, it's a sign of fellowship with Christ and his burial, being engrafted in him of remission of sins and of giving up himself unto God. So baptism is a sign of me giving up myself unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. And then it says, what is the duty of those who have received baptism to give up themselves to some particular and orderly church? So because in baptism, so baptism is kind of alluded to here, I think in some ways, um, maybe indirectly, uh, but the idea of in baptism, we are, we have given up ourselves unto God in Christ. We belong to him. And because we belong to him now in love, we now belong to our church fellow church members. We belong to them as well. Um, in our in our community of of faith, how often do we think about church membership in the sense of 
I belong to you now instead of thinking, uh, I guess what that does is that, that switches the way I approach church. Instead of me approaching church as I'm coming here um, to, uh, and, and you had better all um, serve me. Instead, I've given myself, I, I don't own myself anymore. I belong to God in Christ, and now I'm able to freely now give myself to this visible church. That's a different way of thinking, I think, than the way we typically think about the church. It's true. Yeah, it's changed drastically. I yeah. mean, the question now is definitely what can you what can you offer right. me? Yeah, you know what what programs, what facilities? Uh, <clears throat> that's what that's what people are looking for yep. uh, in the services. You know, what am I getting out of this service? Am I being People might not say this, but there's an aspect of it. Am I being entertained at all? Am I enjoying what I'm listening to? Mm-hmm. Is there comfort here? Uh, will I be pleased when I leave? Will I feel better? How am I going to feel? Uh, kids are a big part. You know, what do you have to offer? Yep. Instead of instead of 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 what I, what I can now offer the church. Mm-hmm. You know, what can I be? Mm-hmm. You know, and you see that the devotedness, giving up of themselves to the Lord and one to another. You see that? I do see that in the church, but I it's a very small percentage. That 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 falls to the whole 80/20 thing, you know, whatever, 20% of the people oh, do yeah, 80% of the work. All the work and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And it's because like here, we have a a number of people who are willing to give themselves right for the church family. And then you have a number of people who are willing to do some stuff, but I don't know if they'd be willing to give themselves fully. And then you have some who aren't willing to give anything. Yeah. They just want to come, right? And they're right. not going to give right. money. They're not going to give much of time. They're not going to give up much effort. Um, but yet, if we're covenanting together, if we're all on the same page, if we're, if we're all be- our saints and we all agree this is what we are to be doing, then we should be devoted to the cause and to one another. Mm-hmm. And so I think of it like in a family setting, and, and sadly the family setting has eroded too. So it's not just church. It's because this is eroded in the family setting that it's drifted into the church life. Yeah. But, you know, I, I like when I see uh, people in their 50s or 60s and they have devoted themselves to their parents and they're caring for their parents right, now right. who are in their 70s or 80s yeah. right and they're it's a lot of time it's a lot of effort they're taking them to doctors appointments sometimes they they move in you know with them or something and they're they're really devoted to them because that's their dad or that's their mom and that's what family does right that's and 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 it takes a segment of their life away i mean it could be years where they don't get to go on the retirement trips they thought they were going to when they retired because they're spending it with mom at the doctor all the time or yeah. whatever. But they're devoted to the family is right. what I'm saying. Right. And you just don't see that even a lot anymore. Sure. Uh, but that should be the picture of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Is I'm devoted to my church. Not just the pastors devoted to the people, but the, the yeah. we're devoted yeah. together. Right. And so when one is mm-hmm. hurting, we're there. When, when they're happy, we're there, yeah. right? And when I'm hurting, they're there. And it doesn't mean everybody is there, but but some are there. And what happens a lot of times in church is it's, it's the same few who end up being there for everybody mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. they're, they're committed to this, of what it says, mm-hmm. of being devoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, cause, it can cause stress and it can cause burnout. Mm-hmm. 
And really, if we just were the church we were supposed to be, if all 100% were on board, I mean, I, this the things are crazy. There would be no need for money. We'd be we'd be perfectly fine. And then just for care. Yeah, and I think, too, I think another aspect of that, too, is, is there are going to be people that are going to, at, especially I think about older saints, mm-hmm. they're going to be more on the receiving end sure. of care. But that's one of the, the problems that happens in so many churches today where it's either the old people's church or the young people's church or you split services up that way because then you lose that whole dynamic of giving and receiving to one another in a, in a, to yeah. a large extent. I talked to somebody recently. It was kind of heartbreaking, a pastor, not even in our state, but out of state, and was just saying the church is growing and the catalyst for it was the music. Yeah. And he's like, I'm starting to do uh, radio songs. That's what people were asking for. So we started to do songs that people heard on the radio. And the way the way it was said to me was hundreds are coming. Like, okay. And he said, but, and he didn't have to say this. He's like, a lot of the old people are mad, but the results, you know, we're just getting so many young people. Why would I not do it? You know, and, and like you said, it was like, okay, yeah, let's just kick the old generation out. Right. Yep. I mean, yeah. is that what we're going to? Right. And I think also, one of the things I want to highlight too is it says, give up ourselves to the Lord one to another by the will of God in professed subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. This is important because, again, as a church, we cannot ask you to do anything that Jesus Christ does not ask you to do. So many churches are go are 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 saying we want you to give up give of yourselves to this church, but they may be asking you to do things that Jesus Christ isn't asking you to do, and they're adding on top of that. This protects also the Christian's freedom, the liberty of conscience to serve God according to my conscience. But it's it's we don't have the right as pastors or as a local congregation to ask you to do anything that God has not asked you to do. And that is so important for a church to constantly to be reminded of because also that eliminates a lot of useless things that um, we might think we need, but we, but we really don't. And also we have to be very careful because not only are we going to say you don't need these things, they could be quote good things, but they're not required by Jesus. And also secondly, then, you may actually become burdening your brother's conscience. And so then it becomes unloving on top of that. So it becomes unwise and unloving. But whenever we're giving ourselves to the Lord and to one another, we're focused primarily upon, again, this drives us back to the scriptures. As Baptists, we we want to be scripture people um, and wanting to find a, a thus says the Lord for what we do as, as a church um, and as believers. Okay, well, I think we've said enough um, for this. Um, thank you for listening to this. Um, we're going to keep going next week um, uh, through this study on Baptists and the church and what we should believe. Thanks for listening. Take care and God bless.